number one, selfless. Okay. Putting others before themselves. That's actually one of our core covenants here in the program. Mm-hmm. So that's made me really look into it. All the great people that I've been around, the best friends that I have, they're so selfless. Yeah. Like, they want to buy you meals all the time. They do everything for you. It's always about you. How are you? How's your family? That quality. And, and, I'm, and I'm trying to do it better every day. Yeah. So, like, their selflessness and their, their care for nothing but you when they're talking to you. Making you feel is important. If there's six things that you know that you want to become good at it, it better become a part of your daily habits. It better be parts of what you do. Like, I don't want to be good at 20 things. I want us to do six things better than everybody else in the country. Yeah. And it really doesn't matter if we are, but if, if our standard is to be the best, then that's what I'm going to hold them to. So I don't compare us to other places, but I'm going to compare us to what we are, and this is what we do, and we're going to be the best at it. And that'll let somebody else be the judge if we are, but... I want you to be convinced that we're the best at it and you're the best as an individual player. And I'm already convicted that this is the best way to do it. And I and they're going to know daily by, by the way I approach that I'm convicted this is the best way and you're the best at it. It goes a long way to brainwashing kids that they're the best and they can accomplish things that you never dreamt of. You're dialed in to the ABCA's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast, connecting our coaches with some of the best baseball minds in our game. Now here's your host, Jeremy Sheetinger. Broadcasting from the ABCA National Office here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome back or welcome to our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. This is your baseball coaching source for certified audio gold and a place where you come to connect with the very best baseball minds in our game. Another week and another terrific podcast, guys. You are in for a treat with this week's show. Passion, energy, humility, it's all coming your way. But first, with the reminders to subscribe, review, and share, subscribe to this show on your phone, your computer, your tablet. Follow the links on Twitter or or on our website and find us wherever podcasts are free. Leave us a review on there. Five-star ratings are always appreciated. Plus, share this show in all the ways you can to spread the word about this podcast. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Find us at ABCA1945. You can also head over to our website, abca.org. If you're looking for more information about what our baseball coaching fraternity here is all about, also please feel free to reach out to me directly at CoachSheets3 on Twitter and now on Instagram, trying that out for a trial run, or by email, sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. Here is the true beauty of this group of loyal listeners. You've offered us Automobile U and Growing While You're Mowing since this thing started, and yet you continue to push the envelope, and we're finding so many new ways to dive into these shows, like this one from Glenn Wilson. He's recovering from knee surgery. He's laid up for a little bit. He's going to go back and listen to all the episodes and just enrolled in post-surgery U. I love that. Tim Mary from the Virginia Baseball Coaches Association, he's embracing this hunting season that's upon us. And he offered us Tree Stand You. It's all deadly, and we love every bit of it. Your tweets are beyond encouraging to us. Keep those rolling in. Keep finding time to take on these shows. And let's all keep spreading the word and reaching more coaches. Huge thanks to our great friends and longtime ABCA partners over at Rawlings. And these folks saw what was going on here with our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast, and we appreciate their desire to get on board with us and help reach more coaches. So as the official helmet of Major League Baseball and the Babe Ruth League, 
Rawlings is proud to introduce their latest innovation, the new Mach EXT batting helmet with a facial extension piece. Now with its sleek profile that allows for optimized ventilation and an impacts high performance padding that absorbs and disperses force, the Mach EXT is simply engineered to perform. Additionally, the Mach's extension piece that provides additional facial coverage and protection without limiting visibility because as we all know, coverage equals confidence. It's available in both junior and senior sizes as well as one and two-tone versions and you can buy all the new Rawlings Mach EXT batting helmets and see the entire product line on their website Rawlings.com. That's Rawlings, R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S.com and we hope to see you join Team Rawlings today. Now, episode 108 finds us landing in Fort Worth, Texas this week to connect with one of the key figures behind the construction of one of the elite college baseball programs in the country. Following the lead of his head coach, former podcast guest on episode 19 of the show, and our ABCA fourth vice president, Jim Schlossnagel, TCU's associate head coach, Bill Moziello, joins our show to break down his extensive and successful career in baseball Plus, we unpack his passion for teaching and learning and challenging himself to grow each and every day. If you haven't buckled in yet, hit pause for a quick second and strap yourself into your chair. You cannot find another episode that will have more passion, more energy, more humility, a spirit of servant leadership, and actual genuine care for his players than what you're getting ready to take on with this show. It is off the charts goosebumps throughout and most importantly i'm supposed to be the one asking the questions but mo's approach to coaching and guiding relationships and nurturing those that made me step back and evaluate more deeply than maybe i ever have done before this is a powerful show powerful capitalized quoted underlined it's packed with emotions and insight from one of the best teachers and developers inside of our game so here we are. Come inside the dugout with us. There's plenty of room for all of us to cram in here. And let's welcome in TCU's associate head coach, Bill Moziello, as he is our guest on this week's Dugout Chatter episode. Get ready, coaches. This great show's coming at you right now. Coaches, thanks for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. I am beyond fired up for this interview, an opportunity to connect with a guy that I've been able to watch from a distance for a lot of years and to be able to connect over the airwaves and offer this conversation back to our loyal listeners. We're going to have some nuggets in here. Get your pen and paper ready. This could be another Take Feverish Notes episode as we head down to Fort Worth, Texas to connect with the associate head coach at TCU, Bill Moziello. Mo, thanks for jumping on the call with me, my friend. Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. I'm real excited to be on this. and uh, what, what an honor and a privilege to have this opportunity to speak with you. Awesome. Well, I know this, and I'll get right from the front. You start calling me Jeremy, I feel like I owe you some money. So you better go to <laughs> Sheets right, right away. I'll call you Sheets. <laughs> I don't owe you anything yet. I'll owe you a friendship and a bro hug when I see you in Dallas. But uh, for right now, we're, we're going to get into some really cool stuff, Mo, and I'm excited about this one. We're kind of I'm priming this engine over here on the other side of the mic. And we're going to let you loose over the airwaves. Let's open this up because this is such a cool dynamic. You're going to jump up on the main stage this year at our Dallas convention. Again, we're, we're literally 20 minutes from Fort Worth. But it's the opportunity to really connect with our coaching fraternity. And I know that our association has meant a lot to you throughout your coaching career. Can you just open up the dynamic of what being part of the ABCA has meant to you and then certainly how excited you are for Dallas? 
you know, I'm super excited. And, and obviously it's what coaching is all about. Mm -hmm. It's why I became a coach. It's what, why, you know, I'm in my 33rd year coaching right now, which is scary to even think about <laughs> it, how old I'm getting. And, and I can still remember the first conventions and going to it and mm. being that guy in the, you know, and I still do it today. So it doesn't matter how many years I've been doing it, you know, sitting in there and listening to the great speakers and learning things and, and want to aspire to become them. And yep. so many great role models and the enthusiasm the guys had and the passion and, you learn that all different walks of life and certain guys become great coaches. And you're, you're, I learned to really appreciate there's so many guys that I know that are better coaches than me. They're they're in high school forever, coach yes. 40 years and make yeah. such an impact. And, and I realized like, man, this guy's way smarter than me. He's better <laughs> than me. I've just been blessed and had the opportunity. So I don't take any coach for granted. And I have a great appreciation for how important every coach at every level is and, and just watching them and trying to learn. And the, the one only credit I'll actually give myself is I have this, I have was intelligent enough to, pay attention and write no, take notes every day and <laughs> sure. try to implement things in practice and but yet i try to keep it simple enough to where i couldn't take this guy's offense and make it my offense you yes. know but i could implement some things here or, you know so a lot of the things throughout my career but the abca has just been so awesome with that and it's so awesome that you know and, it, and it's evolved so much and that now you guys are doing the podcast and all the certain things and for all those great coaches out there that aspire to be the, the best version of themselves i mean how can you not love everything that's going on on a daily basis I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. That was, that was the tagline that we're going to use to sell the ABCA. That was money. But uh, something you said in there, Mo, that, that really jumped off to me was a dynamic that we talk about a lot on this podcast, but it's more of if you've been for a number of years, you start to recognize this dynamic in that a coach may see you. You're an associate head coach at TCU, dude. I watch you on TV, and I coach at Hartfield Academy in Mississippi. Okay, So we're, we're never going to see each other, never going to play each other. But what's cool is that when you get around guys like Chuck Box or, or, or Butch Chafin or other high school coaches that you know are really great teachers, really great communicators, uh, leadership, just A+, plus, dude, you want to flip that script really quick on them. Hey, what are you doing at Cookville that I can bring back to TCU? And it's the recognition that these lower-level guys aren't just lower-level guys. They are extremely confident. They're extremely uh, equipped to coach players differently then maybe even you are at TCU. Do you see that dynamic too? Yeah, well, no question. And I guess, you know, part of my deal is my background, the fact that my brother has been a, a greatly, highly successful coach in California for, you know, over 20 years and had sure. great success. Sure. So I have like an amazing appreciation for how hard he's worked. And, and I consider them the real coaches and the college coaches that don't have somebody doing their field every day or that actually have to teach a class and impact kids, not only on the field, but in a classroom. No doubt. So I've got it. I've got a tremendous amount of respect for what they do. They do everything. Like yeah. they have to know every facet of the game. And, and, and what I think I sort of laugh a little bit is, you know, throughout the years, I always have coaches come stay at my house and they want to learn things that I know and certain yeah. things. And, and I, I'm actually laughing inside and I'm happy to help and do the best I can, but I actually learn way more from them than that's they learn it. from me. So that's what they don't understand yeah. how diligent I see they are when I talk to them and, and maybe I'm not getting as much in the nuts and bolts of, of game strategies and because obviously our level is a little bit different in who they're facing. Yeah. But yeah. like the appreciation, the hard work, and the fact that they would take three days out of their life and leave their family to come stay with me of all people. You know, so I'm like, man. So I actually, like, I learned from them. And, and I'm a big fan of characteristics of people and of players. And, man, this is why this guy's so successful. No wonder they speak so highly of this guy. Mm. And, man, if I could just, man, I need a little more passion like this guy. Or, <laughs> man, I need to be a little more diligent or maybe not talk so much and listen like this guy. You know what I mean? So I guess I'm, I'm a constant learner. So I'm yeah. like, I'm just, I'm exactly what they are. And, but it's just neat that sometimes they're coming to me and they're wanting information from me, but I'm like, man, you're the, you're the one that I appreciate more than you, you'll know. So I'm going to pay attention to you. So maybe that's sort of 
But uh, I don't take anything for granted. I know how lucky I am, and I know how blessed. And I actually know that any coach that gets to coach anywhere, how blessed that person is. No um, it doesn't matter how much money you make or that the so-called big-name brand at the school you're at, which, I, like I've told you, there's guys that are at a, what you would, you know, so-called, so-called smaller schools than me that do a better job than I do. So I, I don't take myself too seriously on that, but I do want to make sure that I bring it every day with a passion and, and energy and continue to learn and never just sit still like, Hey, that's what we did 10 years ago when we won. Let's yeah. just do it now. Like it's, it's, that's not what you need to do if you want to become the best version of yourself. Gosh, I love so much to open up there. Uh, one of the first few episodes we ever had bill was skip Bertman from LSU. And one of the lines he dropped relative to your point is any job you have in baseball is the best job you'll have. And just how appreciative we should be that we get a chance to come to the ballpark each day. We get to hang out with 18 and 22 year old kids, or we get to hang out with, with five to 14 year old kids. We get to hang out around the great game and really teach it and preach it and uh, let the life lessons come through. Um, it, it's just, a, it's a really neat dynamic. I'm so glad to hear you say all that. Now, what I'm scared of is this next question, cause we're going to go through your journey in baseball. And I feel like we should make that its own podcast and you listen to all the stops, and then we come back and finish the rest of the show. But take us through a quick glance throughout your journey in baseball. You're talking about over 20 years in collegiate baseball, seven as a minor league manager, a lot of different stops at some high-profile institutions, a couple years there with the Hall of Famer Augie Garrido. Start to open that up so our coaches get a glimpse of where you're really coming from for the rest of this podcast. Like you said, I don't know how much time we've got. I'll start the clock. You know, I'll start with this. Like, there's, there's, you know, I don't think there's anybody that's been more blessed than me in the history of, of coaching. Yeah. I've got to be around so many amazing, tremendous people. And it, it started where, you know, I play, I went out of high school. I went to play, I played Fresno state for the great coach, Bob Bennett. Mm. And he was an unbelievable influence yeah. in me and the toughness and discipline. And yet he was a he had great freedom to let you play. And then, didn't do too good in the classroom my first year. Got a little homesick. So I, then I transferred to the great junior college called Cerritos Junior College, where yes. George Horton was becoming a first-year head coach there. And uh, what a tremendous guy to, to, to play under. And, and I got to learn what we called the Cerritos way, which ended up being like the Cal State Fullerton way when you hear about West yeah. Coast baseball and those type things. So I was so blessed to play in a great, on a great team, and we won a state championship. We went 39-5. and five. And then I was able to go back to Fresno State and play for Coach Bennett. So I was a guy that I, I'd had some knee, knee problems earlier in my career and wasn't a really good athlete as it is. So I had, a, I had three knee surgeries going into my, after my redshirt junior year. So I had a knee wow. surgery after my, my junior year at Fresno State, and we found out instead of a scope like the other two had been, this one had to be reconstructed. So I, ended up, I wasn't going to be able to play the next year because, you know, in those days, especially the rehab and everything was so far behind. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't going to be able to play my senior year. So. I was very fortunate to go, to go back to Cerritos College with Coach Horton and be a, a full-time coach with him. Mm-hmm. So I got to coach my first four years with, with Coach Horton and, uh, and the great Wally Kincaid. A lot of people don't really know who Wally Kincaid is, but he's actually probably known as the best coach in the history of uh, yes. especially Southern California baseball. Yes. So he did some things, and he had a team that went 40-0. and 0, They went 40-1, mm-hmm. and 1, and he was the great coach at Cerritos that started all that. Mm-hmm. And he was actually the pitching coach on the team that I played for, so when I was a catcher, he would give me the signs, and I got to learn how to call a game and learn some things from him. Wow. So that was just an amazing experience with him. So I got to coach with George Horton, and then the, the very next year, Dave Serrano came to be to, 
to be on our staff. So it was Coach Horton, myself, and Dave Serrano. So what a great group to, to work under. So for those four years I was with Coach Horton, we had we won a couple state championships and had some great success, and things were going really good. And then Augie Garrido had left from Fullerton to Illinois, and he came back to Cal State Fullerton. And when he came back, school had basically started for about a week. So say we're like August 25th or, you know, somewhere around that when school mm-hmm. starts, you know, on the August 18th or so. Well, he decides he wants George Horton to come over to be his associate head coach. And Coach Horton t- decides to take the job, and he brings me with, with him. So it's, it's myself, Coach Horton, and Augie Garrido getting to be together. Um, so, not bad. You know, one, yeah, so, so not bad. And I, obviously, I'm doing – I have no responsibility whatsoever. You know, just throw batting practice. Picking up baseballs. And, and go out and, yeah, go out and help some recruit and just try to pay attention to yeah. these guys and stay out of the way. Yeah. So I was able to do that. And then in, in 1992, they, had a, they were just changing the position – Called the restricted earnings position, yep. where they were only where they, they would pay the third guy a limited amount of money, like it was twelve thousand dollars plus. You could you could work camps for four thousand. Mm-hmm. I actually don't even think I was making twelve thousand at Cal State Fullerton, but they had changed the position. So, University of Tennessee had, had just started. Um, I mean, had had uh, had hired me to go to the University of Tennessee to, to change that. So I went to Tennessee for a few years, and we had great success as a team. And mm-hmm. But I left to go to Ole Miss, and we at that year we actually broke the record uh, for wins that year. We lost to Florida State in the championship to get to Omaha, wow. so we had some really good success there. And then all of a sudden, Larry Koshell from Oklahoma, they had just won the national championship, yep. uh, tries to hire me and convinces me that, hey, we had 18 of 25 players um, that were California kids. You get to be closer to home. Hmm. And I had just gotten married married the year before at Ole Miss with, to my, my wonderful wife. And so we took the job at Oklahoma. So we had a great little run there and had a great time and some, uh, some strange things that happened, some things that I wasn't mature enough to handle that mistakes I made. And so I end up leaving there and, um, and during the season and Pat Murphy ends up hiring me mid season. And what, a, what an amazing guy he is. And he's just, you know, he had so many things going on in his mind that, he, that you learn from and yeah. what a great stop for just one year to be with him. And, so I was there, and then I was actually out of baseball for one year. And um, it was the toughest year of my life in 2002, and I'm thinking I'm never going to get back into the game. And I, you know, I had to do some soul searching and knew I was going to have to make some adjustments in my career and do some things better and, uh, and just, you know, just try to do everything better. Yeah. So sat out that year, had a regular job. I went and managed that summer in the Northwoods League, so that was a great time going out to Youngstown, Ohio, managing there. Mm-hmm. And then I was able, fortunate enough to get a job with the New York Yankees. And I'd always aspired to be a professional coach, but, you know, I actually didn't play professional baseball. I wasn't some great player, and I'd yeah. always felt, like, insecure in my earlier years. Sure. But after I'd had some coaching under my belt and coach on some great teams with some great players, I said, now I can do this. So I was real fortunate to go with uh, with the New York Yankees from 03 to 06, so 3, 4, 5, 6. So I had a good little run there and, and learned a ton, and it was awesome. And then uh, a buddy of mine, Chad Cruder, had just taken the job at Southern California, USC, and and uh, so, man, it was so, you know, the, the pro game is so tough on your family. And I've got three boys and it was yeah. really tough being away from them. So I ended up uh, taking, leaving, leaving the, the pro game, being away from my family every day and going to, going to USC. But we were in a transition. We we had lived in Arizona for the years prior to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we couldn't afford to buy a home in California, um, even though I was making by far the best money I'd ever made. But, you know, living in California is a whole different story. That's why <laughs> sure. we haven't been back since 1992. Right. And we're talking, this is. This is 2007. So, um, so, so we take the job, you know, so I take the job at USC and, and my family's living in Arizona. And the whole reason we took the job at SC was to get back into the college game to yeah. coach the great young man, but to be with my family every day, but they're living in a different state. Mm. So at least in pro ball, you have six month off season. 
So that made it really tough. So after that year, if they weren't able to get me a home there, I was going to have to leave. So that's when I took a job at Auburn with Tom Slater. And, um, and what a great guy. And that's what Butch Thompson was already an assistant yeah. there. And what an amazing staff that was. So yeah. I got to be with, with, with Tom Slater at Auburn. That way we could afford to live in Auburn and still have our house in Arizona, although we did end up selling it. Um, not for what we thought we would at, at one time, mm-hmm. but at least we got rid of that. So we went to Auburn for a year. And unfortunately, uh, Tommy ended up losing a job there. And that's the first place I've ever been where someone lost their job. And, and that was a real unfortunate deal. And, so we uh, ended up go- working with the Los Angeles Angels after that, 9, 10, and 11. And we had a really good run there and yep. had a good run there. And it was fun. And the pro game was teaching me so much. And I was learning how to have empathy for players and learning that how tough this game was. So the pro game was always the best thing that ever happened to me, to, to learn to be patient. And you can't yell at these kids all the time. And yeah. they're pros and you, they're men and you better act like a man. And so it was a great experience. And then – um then my, my friend Dave Serrano gets the job at Tennessee, which, you know, I'd had one stint at Tennessee already, and we actually absolutely loved it. And so I left the pro game to go with Dave at Tennessee. And, and uh, you know, what a blessing that was to get back in the college game and to be with Dave and Greg Bergeron and mm-hmm. Greg Wallace. So we had a great staff there. And But I knew what I signed up. So when I went there, I was just going to be the recruiting coordinator. And, I you know, I'd ran offenses for so long and coached third base. And, you know, I wasn't used to not running an offense, but I knew what I signed up for. Yeah. And I knew I was being with Dave and Greg, and I knew that, uh, we're in a great city in Knoxville. What a gorgeous place. And we we're going to raise our kids there. And everybody was happy. So we had a couple tough years there. We had to, you know, bring in 27 new guys our very first year. You know, after you, know, you come there the first year and you have to play with who you have. Yep. But then the next year we brought in 27 new players. And you don't just do that in the SEC. You can't play seven, eight freshmen in the SEC and have <laughs> no, any chance. No. Nope. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you know, every, anybody that's ever been through that, they know yep. what I'm talking about. Yep. So. You know, then, then Coach uh, Schlossnagel was looking for a new guy, and he you know, he called called Dave, and, and Dave said, "I got the perfect guy for you, but I don't think he wants to leave." So Dave calls me and says, uh, "You know, uh, Jim Schlossnagel called. Do you have any interest to go to TCU?" I said, "No, absolutely not. You know, Dave, I know what I signed up here. I'm I'm here for you." And but he had known that it was tough on me, and he I think it was tough on him to know that I wasn't doing some of the things I like to do or that I was capable of doing. But I knew what I signed up for. Greg Bergeron did a fantastic job, and I liked being around him, and mm-hmm. it was a great group. But then. I guess Jim called him back, Dave back said, well, I'm going to call him anyways. And so when Dave said, ah, it doesn't matter what you think, he's calling me. And I said, well, what do you think, Dave? Are you okay with it? And he gave me a blessing. He said, man, I need you to do what's best for you and your family. So when I had a chance to meet, meet Coach Schlossnagel, who was coaching the USA team, I met him out in Cary for a day and told him what my vision was through all these years and, and if I could be in control of this and be able to run the offense with complete autonomy and, and do the defense position players, that, that I'd have some big interest. And so I love Coach Schlossnagel and the vision and what he'd already accomplished because I'd paid attention from afar and the great job that they'd been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I, we, Janelle, my, my wife and I, Janelle, we flew down to uh, – TCU, we, we met Chris Del Conte, the, the awesome athletic director, and he took us around and convinced me of the vision, and he was willing to do whatever it took for this to become a top-notch program, and we fell in love with it just our day and a half, and uh, and I, probably the biggest thing was that Kirk Silas was the pitching coach here, who who was an acquaintance of mine, but not a friend, but I'd known all about him, and, sure. and he played for Coach Horton and Dave Serrano, and Dave was his pitching coach, and they'd always raved about him, and one thing I've learned through the years, if you're going to make a move, you better get with a great pitching coach and a great pitching staff. So I did a little research and knew this is the place for me. And I bet, bet on Coach Schlossnagel and Kirk Sarlos. And obviously it's been, you know, going to the World Series four or five years and the kids that I've got to coach at this program. It's been, it's been a game changer for me. And all the places have been amazing and have taught me so much. And 
but to, you know, for God to put me in this position, you know, as one of my last stops and to really let me use the things I learned through the years and really implement them with the right types of kids. I mean, it's, that's when I talk about being so blessed and it's not being around so many just awesome head coaches, the George Horton's, the Augie Garrido's, the Larry Cochell's, the Tommy Slater's, the Dave Serrano's, you know, it's not just going, being around those guys. I got to be around so many great assistant coaches. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. those guys are just, like I said, and we anybody that starts to know this game understands the importance of assistant coaches and, all head coaches know you can't win without great assistant coaches. So it was just being around so many great people. And then even being with Mike Socia with the angels who really made you feel like you were part of his big league staff mm-hmm. and getting to be around different minor league coaches and managers and, and learning from them. And, you know, you're, you're, one thing I've always done is paid attention. Hmm. You know what I mean? To really like, man, this guy is good at this. And why is he good at that? And try to get to know them. And so I like to say, being a life learner and when you've been around a hundred different people, you, you have no choice but to learn. Yeah. And sometimes you see some things that you wouldn't do. And you get to learn from that. So no matter who you're around, you get to gain great knowledge. And if you're really paying attention to it, I think the sky's the lesson. And that's what I've tried to do. But the journey has been one place to another. And <laughs> it's been unbelievable. And and I haven't even mentioned the most important things are all the great kids that I've been around, the great yeah. players that I've got to manage and coach. And, you know, I've managed and coached over 80 major league players, like 26 all-stars and yeah, you know I mean, and so like I learned so much more from them than they learned from me, but I had the best seat in the house. Like I got to be around them. I got to pay attention to them. Why is this kid so successful? And that's yeah. why I came up with the characteristics for successful hitters and successful players. And I just paid great attention. There was never nothing in this game happened by accident. So you got to learn. Why did this guy become the MVP? Why has this guy played for 17 years in the big leagues? And or why did this guy just play for one year and never made it? And so I, I got to pay great attention. So my job now is to impart my wisdom to the players and tell them like, Hey, if you think you want to be a pro player and you go about it the way you're going about it, you've got no chance. Yeah. I mean, I've been so blessed. I've actually got three managers now that I coach They're you know, Craig council, Aaron Boone and Mickey Calloway. Yeah. So that's how ridiculous I am <laughs> coaching for so long. And, and how much smarter they were than me. And those are the guys that are managing the big league. And as we saw, two of them were in the final four, you know, of the, of the playoffs yes. and world series. So, so what a blessing to be around such amazing players. And like I said, I just try to pay attention and evolve daily and made tons of mistakes. And like, I, you know, if you haven't made mistakes, you haven't coached long, but the difference is that you paid attention to your mistakes and you're trying to get better. You know, do you have something in your heart to try to make changes? And, and that's what I've tried to do. Oh my gosh. Okay. Let me try to unpack that because there's, there's, as you're talking, I wrote down four words. I wrote down learner, humility, loyal, and accountability. And I'm always about defining people, defining myself each day, trying to be better than I was yesterday. But when you talk with someone and you really listen, and, and that's the beauty of the podcast, there's a, an audio element to these interviews that if, if you're just on the surface, if you're just going to go a mile wide and an inch, an inch deep, you'll get some great baseball information, but we try to listen to, or I try to listen to it with a, a, a mile deep and an inch wide and really try to define who I'm talking to and get to the core of it. And Mo, I'm telling you, it ain't lip service. When you start to hear the humility come through your lessons and, and come through your journey, when you start to hear the, how loyal you are to people and how loyal you are to opportunities, uh, the ability to take accountability, you know, and look back and not shift blame. That's a huge, I think, a learning curve for most young coaches is the ability to not shift blame to players or shift blame to other coaches or other missed opportunities and to really accept them and move forward. And then obviously the learner piece, that's going to be throughout this entire interview. That's number one. The other part, and I'm going to go a little off script here with you, and I told you I would, um, you mentioned family. And when you think about 
all the stops that you've had and all the different places that you've had to go and, and packing bags. And I mean, there's probably a period where you may not even have gotten out of boxes because you were there for a year and we had to move to another place and then get into minor league baseball and that struggle in itself. Um, I know how important family is to you, your wife, your three kids. When you think about that, how have you, how can you talk through to offer our listeners some insight as to how you've learned to really balance baseball and home life and keep family happy? Yeah, I think you said so many key words. And number one, and when I talk to coaches, I really want them to understand is that when I talk, the only humility I've had is because I was that guy that wanted to always like get this job and then go to that job and then yeah. go to that job. Yeah. And what I say, if you want to talk about being hypocritical, <laughs> is I would change everything I've done in my career, but I actually wouldn't change a thing. Mm-hmm. Because everything I did, all the mistakes I made, all the being patient enough to stay there or not, you know, taking another job because I could, or I thought $20,000 was more money or this team's even better than that school. And, you know I mean? It was, um, I wasn't patient enough. You know, when you talk about loyalty, I am loyal, but like to me, if, if you just stay with that one guy, if you believe in yourself, if you're good enough, you'll get your dream job. Yes. But I was chasing things. Like I have things in my mind and this is what I want to really teach these younger coaches. Like, I would be a head coach by a certain age. I had to take this job, this job, so I could be a head coach. Well, my most embarrassing thing is I've coached all these years, and I'm an assistant coach. You know what I mean? I know yeah. how fortunate I am. I know the great place. But now my faith in God is is, is a fact. And because mm-hmm. God's had a plan for me, he always had. He always picks me up. He's the one that humbles me. He's the one that, like, you think you're super coach? Well, no, you're not. Yes. But, you know what I mean? Come down think, a level. But I'm gonna get you. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. I'm going to get you another job. And yeah. you're going to have to do better here. And then I screw that one up. And then, you know what I mean? So that's where you become humble. But, you know, it's just like, but I get, the reason why I say I wouldn't change a thing because it made me who I am today. I'm the best version of myself today, way better than I've ever been. Wow. I've made so many mistakes and still trying to, to make, you know, make amends for different things. And we're not talking about horrible things, but we're talking about handling players and, yeah. you know, you know, not letting every single guy you ever knew how much you really loved and cared that's for him. Like, you thought you were doing because you were working so hard to make them better, but did you tell them that personally? Not mm. not through a fake text, through to let somebody think. Well, I text them all the time. How proud I am of them. Well, I get to see them every day. What do I need to text them? Yeah. You know what I mean. So I try to be a new generation. Text is a part of our lives, but I'm a mine's the human element. And off seasons, I want to call guys like <laughs> like um, you know I call players. I don't want to text. Them. Hope you're getting your workouts in. Hope you're doing great. I want to call them, and, and they don't really understand. I'm calling them because they motivate me. Yeah. You know, I want to hear their voice. And, of course, with this voice that I have, they say, hey, they, hey I miss your voice. Text me. Like, oh, you know what I mean? That's yeah. the funny thing. And, and I've had, I have some really neat things through the years. I've got, like, a players last year when I would check on them. And then they, they would send texts to me, and I'd send a text back to them. They said, hey, we know we've got problems. When, when I read your text, I can hear your voice. Wow. You know, so I'm like, oh, geez. But you knew, you knew, you made, you know, you know you're making an impact. Like, yes. You know what I mean? Oh. So you knew. And so I they, they're the biggest part of my life besides my family. Obviously, to make all the moves, my wife's what my life's been about. So, in actually, yeah. the last you know seven eight moves we've ever made, it was always about the three boys in my life and what do we, what can help us as a family? And always they always had to get to be okay. And obviously, being me, sometimes I need to be okay, but we're going anyway, guys. And you probably knew that also. Yeah, my old boys, they've got great stories. They can tell you how we you duped us. We thought we were going here, and two days later, we were here. And, you know, they're your listeners, so they find out that I'm talking to somebody about something. And, 
you know, so it's a pretty neat deal, but you can't do it without an amazing wife and kids. And, and obviously, you know, so many people want to live in one place for their children. And we turned it into the opposite. We, we, we always told the kids, Hey, the best thing you do is, is meet friends. And, you know, and, and we, mm-hmm. by you being in all parts of the country, you're going to educate yourself. And when, when they're, they're in a history class talking about the Gettysburg address, my kids, we've been there or certain places. My wife did such a great job in pro ball. Like, you know, she dropped me off at the field at 10 a.m. and she would be taking them around to different places in different parts of the country and educating them and everything I don't know. I know baseball, basketball, and football. I know nothing. Yeah. I mean, that, that's embarrassing to say. That's why I couldn't do anything but coach. I wanted to play, but I wasn't good enough. So I'm that guy. Like, so when you meet me in person, you're going, man, if this guy is dumb as a rock, if I can do it, if, if I could just have some passion like he has, maybe I can be a coach. So that's where I give everybody a fighting chance because I know nothing. Although, unfortunately, I can tell you about the 27 Yankees and the, you know, every (laughs) Super Bowl winning team. I guess I, I can remember what I want, but I don't want to remember too much. So. You know, that's the you know interesting dichotomy of me. That there's, <laughs> I'm out there. I'm all over the place. But I know what I want. I know what I want for my family. I know what I want for my players. And, mm. and I'll be darned if I'm not going to fail that. I'm going to jump all over this, Mo, and I hope you'll go here with me. And, and we talked even before we got recording. You've mentioned a couple of times, dude, transparency is key. Mm-hmm. and that, That's key for us as a host. That's key for this show. That's key for our guests is that we can really pull back the curtain in a way that you're inside the trust tree. I mean, this this is a group of learners on the on the call with us. These are coaches that are trying to challenge themselves, are trying to learn, they're trying to grow, and they're using your content and your experience. Let me be your experience to help kind of you know move them down a different path. And I think there's a, some key points that you made in there that lead into this question. When we think about your first few years as a coach or throughout your journey as a coach, what are some of the lessons that you need to learn? The 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 moments that you you needed to get smacked to learn from or maybe some of those hate to say regrets, but those moments where you look back like, yep, I slipped up here. Now, how can you relay that to our coaches and help us learn through that? You know, it's just the remembering how freaking hard the game is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like it's just the coaching and the, and, and how you handle the players. And I'm still a really tough coach. Like I am mm-hmm. coaching the heck out of them daily. They're going to be accountable. Excellence is the standard. And obviously we all know how hard excellence is. Yeah. I'm not telling you that I've given in but I understand how hard and I'm going to coach them to be the player. They're going to be not the player they are. And they got to understand that. And, and I don't want to leave any stone unturned. So when I was younger, I, it was about me. I really believe like, it was like, like we got to win. You got to get better. I need to have a better job. I need to get, go here. How we, if I don't, if we don't win, how do I get my job? So it was all about me. I, I really believe I don't, I still had great relationships with certain individuals, but I coached them all the same because it would be like, you know, Phil Nevin was the first player in the draft, and that's how I coached him. Yeah. That's how I'm going to coach you. Yeah. So it's like, well, it's not one one. I'm not you know, Phil Nevin. He doesn't fit all. <laughs> right. And it's like, and he was a tough guy. He could take it. He loved yeah. it. So I didn't learn how to cheat you coach everybody a little bit differently. I'm going to keep everybody the same standards. And I don't apologize for that. Mm. But you got to coach guys differently, or you got to be really quick to know like, Hey, this guy doesn't handle this very well, but I need to have a talk with him tomorrow. Again, not a tweet. Sorry. What I said to you today, a talk to him. Hmm. And you know, the key to coaching really is, and I tell guys, once your players know that you have their back, if they know that you love them, if they know that you trust them, they're yours, Hmm. you have them, but it takes a long time to do that. And I don't mean, Hey, I said, sorry to you 10 days in a row. No, 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 no. You only get to go back for one time and say, hey, you're better. I'm better than that. You didn't deserve that. 
I can't, you know, you deserve for me to yell at you. I know you, and, and my kids that I coach are so amazing. I'll coach a kid and then do that. I'll coach. It's okay. I deserve it. I'm like, no, you didn't. You didn't. You bust your butt every day. You've given me all you've ever done. You're like, I'll tell them, if you weren't working hard and weren't a great kid, I wouldn't be apologizing to you. Yeah. But you have been. So I've got some regrets through my career of some great kids that I was hard on. And I'm like every day going, that guy probably thought I was the worst guy ever. I never got to tell him how much I appreciated him. I never, but I actually learned from him and I actually lived my whole career through you guys. So, you know, what happens is years, you get so many players and you get tweets now. I'm not tweets. Um, I get texts and guys call me and I'm like, hey, you guys be proud. I've evolved. I'm still a mess and I still do, <laughs> but you guys would be proud of me. Yeah. And they'd be like, man, I don't, we didn't want you to change. I'm like, I need it. Change. You didn't it. You may thought I was amusing. And you, you like it because you're still telling stories about me 30 years later. But I'm embarrassed by some of them. So that's my thing. Like, I guess as a coach, you need to challenge yourself. Like, I'm a guy that asks our players to make adjustments every day. Mm -hmm. I want the players to evolve. We talk about being audible, ready to be able to change all the time. Why wouldn't I do that as a coach? And actually, I've won the right, I think, sometimes to say, hey, well, you know, 10 years ago, we had a great year in the I need to evolve. I need to make changes. I have my core beliefs that I'm not, you, as you can tell, I'm not budging from yeah. three or four things. Yeah. But I'm evolving as a, we've got analytics. We have certain things. We're paying attention. You know what I mean? So like, you're, if you want your players to adjust and, and evolve, how, why in the heck wouldn't I? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I've got a saying, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always be what you've always been. Hmm. So, you, you gotta be, if you, unless you're going undefeated every year and you're making every player happy and you're giving them the best experiences of your life, you're changing all the time. And that's what I'm doing. And, um, and, and I can sleep at night knowing I love, love the guys. I'm giving them the best I've got. Like I said, I'm not the smartest. I'm not the anything, but I love them more than anybody else. So nobody can love their players more. And part of that love, yeah, that's funny. You love your guy. Oh, guy was you sure on him all the time? Well, that's why I love them. You know, the, the old deal, that as soon as you stop getting on players, you've told them, hey, man, you've got no chance. That's so true, man. As soon as I don't challenge you daily, I'm sorry, buddy. You don't have what it takes to be a player. Mm. You, and, and you're not good enough for me to get on you. Why would I get on you? So oh, boy. If you live it daily and they know who you are, and, uh, you know, like you said, it's, 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 there's not a handbook for it. You don't screw up. Yeah. And you've got to be smart enough to know, like, Man, I scarred that fault for life, man. He he won't admit it. He says it's okay. But I learned once you take say something to a player, you can't ever take it back. You can apologize, but he never forgets it. With any coaches that been coaching for a while, you'll know you'll have the players today. Uh, coach, I remember when you took me out for missing that sign back in 87. It's like, do you remember the 10 things I did for you? Good? Yeah. Oh, I only remember that. You're like, shut. Yeah. What an impact I had. <laughs> so that's why I know. And, and I'm one of those guys, like, if, if, you know, if you think you're this old school, tough guy, like, I could care less what the players think, baloney for yeah. me. I yep. care. Now, I don't care if I, if you didn't run the ball out or do something the right way and got on you and you're upset me, I, I think actually you got a problem. But mm. when kids are doing something right and I'm still making a pain in their butt when they don't deserve it, I've got a problem. So it's just, it's just that deal. When you're going to coach him, have to love what I am with the toughness and, and detail oriented and like everything you do, I I'm going to see, and I'm going to let you know, then you better look tenfold. So it's a, it's a work in progress. I'd like to say that I'm there, but I'm still working every day, but the players are first and foremost of every thought that I ever have. And, and I can, I can live with that. 
there's so much I want to go into. And, and before we get into the, like, you know, blending pro and college baseball, there's a, a great uh, compliment that Jim gave you. I went down two years ago. You guys hosted a regional, had DBU in there. So I got a chance to see Coach Hefner and Ricky McCarty and talk to them. But I got to come up the day before and hang out with Schloss. And we got the chance to tour a TCU facility. And we're talking about his staff. And and you can hear this. And, and, and this is a, a high compliment in, in my eyes. He was talking about you, Mo, and he said, man, Mo, he's literally a baseball savant. He sees the game differently than any person that I've ever been around. He goes, I learned so much from him. And I think there's a, there's a piece of that, again, knowing more than I should, is that you know the game in such a way, and you know the intricacies, and you know the details inside of it, but you do a fantastic job of really simplifying it for your guys. Because, again, we're only as good as what our players know. And can you can you maybe help us understand or how to see how to simplify certain specifics within the game and bring them to your players so that they can digest it. Can you open that up? Yeah. You know, and I think the biggest part, and I've alluded to it, and I'm, I'm really not really poking fun at myself. I'm telling you the truth. It's like, how could I not simplify the game? I'm sure. not too bright. So, like, I'm, I'm not smart. So how can I make something fancy when I'm not fancy? Yeah. What I've done is everything that I believe in and that I teach, the vision that I've taught myself is what I've with my own eyes. And I, I think the neat thing that so many people don't really understand is that, so, you know, I started coaching as a 21 year old. Well, I managed the first 14 years of my career in mm -hmm. after, after my college seasons. So I, I was coaching, you know, so say we had 50 or 60 games and actually at Cerritos college, we'd have 75 fall games, believe it or not in the days where there's no rules. Sure, yeah. So it was amazing. So I had about 120 games as a, as a, you know, as a as Cerritos College coach. But then I went and managed for four summers in the Alaska League. I went and managed six leagues in the Cape Cod League. So I got to, you know, manage and coach another 40, 50 games. So I had about 150, 60 games under my belt before I'd ever, you know I mean? Yeah. As my career went on. Yeah. Now, what happened to me in this in age and, you know, the way things came is everybody's so big on recruiters and, you know, everybody wants to hire the next hotshot recruiter and things. And, and you know, you, you talked about baseball savant and those things, you know, which is, I don't, I don't think it's true. It's great to hear, but I don't <laughs> know how true it is. But I guess here's the thing is like, I, I guess I in some places where I talked to some people that they thought that was a bad thing. And I thought to myself, how would that be a bad thing that I become the best I possibly can at my craft? I've made enough mistakes. I've been around so many games. I've seen things done so many ways and I put it into a, had a vision of what I thought would be the best, you know, I think that's why I did this bunt defense for 10 years. And I did this for four and I did this. And the one that we have now, I think is the best. That's why we use it yeah. or running the bases. You know, I've done it this way and I did it this way. And now I do it this way. And I think it's the best. That's why we do it. But like, you know, you get some guys like, you know, he's just a baseball guy, you know, he's yeah. not like, like, that's a bad thing. Why? Would, how is that not? important like don't you don't think i've been recruiting for years you don't think i know what a great player looks like when you've managed when you've coached and managed the mike trouts and robinson canoes and yep. you know Aaron boons and and todd helton's and sean casey that you don't think i know what a player looks like you don't think i've hustled on the road enough sure. so you know you, you know and sometimes you maybe have an athletic director it's like yeah i know that uh you know you guys are recruited well but you know Kirk Strauss is a recruiting coordinator. Well, you don't think I've been helping him? And and the mistakes he's made, sometimes not even his mistake, they were my mistake. So I've made mistakes too there. So, hmm. you know, to, to really, to someone to say, man, he's, you know, that he knows so like, well, yeah, well thank you. Like, that's what I've, that's been my goal. When you love something enough and you have a passion and you, you, you continue to learn, the sky's the limit. 
you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just been a part of evolving and, and, and just trying to learn and, and just keep becoming a better version of yourself every single day. And I can't say that enough to, you, you got to know what you believe in, but you've got to be able to implement things and you've got to have the guts and the courage that if you think you believe that you can teach it on a simplified version. And I can't really describe, like you talked about simplifying things. And yeah. it really is. It just comes down to baseball awareness and teaching the players, the awareness and talk about things and putting them through situational drills daily and doing things enough. Like, you know, Nick Saban says it's so great that I use all the time. Like we don't do something so many times to get it right. We do it so many times so you can't, can't do it wrong. wrong. No so we, we've done first and thirds or maybe our turns. And so that you only know one way. Like you're scoring from second base, you're not going to touch the grass. Like yeah. you got to get the inside corner. We do it every single day. You don't want to become good at it, but you will because you don't have a choice. <laughs> and I'm going to demand it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like I just threw rep through. If you can teach something correctly and you rep it daily, you can become good at it. And, and it's whatever you believe as a coach, like what's important to you. Yeah. And if that's important to you, you can become good at it. Now you better know how to teach it because you got to teach it correctly to them. And then it's all about them. So that's mm-hmm. the thing of simplifying. Here's how we get our lead. You talk about the different cues. We're not going to get too fancy. We're not going to give you 27. What ifs? Like, this is what happens. Yeah. You're going to become good at it. I'm going to empower you to run on your own because I trust you because I trust myself. I trust myself that I'll teach you how to do it right. And I know that you're, that you want to be good. And obviously, if you don't want that guy, you're not going to be around the program. Yeah. I get somebody else. Um, so it's just that belief. In it. And, and obviously if there's conviction. You've got to, like when I talk to guys, it's like, you got to be convicted. Like, like I tell that, you know, one of the talks I give some places is called it's your team. Cause I'll get, you know, I wish I could do it like you guys. And it's like, well, it's your team, buddy. Mm-hmm. So you can do it. Like, like I said, I'm not smarter than you. And I do have really amazing kids, but so do you. Yeah. So give them opportunity, teach them daily because you do it once in the spring or once in the fall doesn't mean you become good at it. If there's six things that you know that you want to become good at it, it better become a part of your daily habits. It better be parts of what you do. Like, I don't want to be good at 20 things. I want us to do six things better than everybody else in the country. Yeah. And it really doesn't matter if we are, but if, if our standard is to be the best, then that's what I'm going to hold them to. So I don't compare us to other places, but I'm going to compare us to what we are, and this is what we do, and we're going to be the best at it. And that'll let somebody else be the judge if we are. But I want you to be convinced that we're the best at it, and you're the best as an individual player. And I'm already convicted that this is the best way to do it. And I and they're going to know daily by by the way I approach that I'm yeah. convicted. This is the best way, and you're the best at it. And it goes a long way to brainwashing kids that they're the best, and they can accomplish things that you never dreamt of. You so awesome, dude. Or right, you mentioned earlier that about how pro ball really made you reflect back on the way that you were coaching college baseball to that point. You know, maybe a little bit yeller screamer, maybe not as clear of a communicator. And going into professional baseball allows you to see the game differently. Uh, uh, certainly, have a lot more opportunities to play and, and, and see as many random things that might happen inside a game. But it was more of what I heard was the development of how to communicate and how to really be more uh, relationship driven and, and get to players in a different way on a more personal level. So then you can coach the person before you ever coach the player. How have you blended the college game now coming back to college baseball, that first move back out. And now again, what you guys have done at TCU, how are you blending that professional game and that experience now with your current guys? You know, that's like I said, that, that was my saving grace. Number one, I told you, I learned how hard the game was. Here was the best players in the world 
and how hard it was. I learned that, by the way, you're going to have to lose some games. Even though it drove me crazy to lose, <laughs> you know, say we'd have a good year, 80 and 60, and win a division, that still meant we lost 60 games. So I had 60 sleepless nights. I tried to do, like, you know, there were times I did what we, I call the George Costanza. You know, I mean, I'd come into the locker room. I'm upset we lost. The players, I had such good kids, and they would act like it was important that we lost. And, you know, I'm saying, turn the radio on. Nobody died. And then I went in my my office and cried. Act that. like somebody you know, died. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, but I would let me go through it. They don't deserve to go through it. They've got to answer the bell every day. Yeah. I've got a unique ability to beat myself up at night and then be ready the next day. Because I always got a belief that we're one day away from a 10-game winning streak. You know, so so the the, the pro game, you, you had to play every day. So you didn't get to, you better be ready to, to suit up the next day and ready to get after it. Yeah. Now, and even earlier in my pro career, I was still was too loud. I'm still too animated. And, and that was hard to take away. But, you know, the double A's even better being at double A a couple of years and learning that these guys really are, man. I got some 30 year old men with families. And mm-hmm. so that was good. And you tried not to, you didn't have team meetings very often. And you didn't get on the chastise guys in a group of a team. You try to do it individually. And so you just tried to evolve. You tried to act over players that you were around. And hey, how do, what do you like from a manager or a coach? Like, what are some things that turned you on or, or made, you know, or turned you on or turned you off? Or what are some mistakes that some of the guys that you've been around? So like I said, I want to please players because that's what it's about. So I tried to learn from them, but you know, you had to learn compassion and from like, I had to release guys that all they ever wanted to do was be a baseball player that had families. And you learn how hard it was and that you couldn't take anything for granted. And I took that as a huge responsibility that every time they move to a higher level, like, you know, what I let them get away with or what I turn them into is going to be who they are. Mm -hmm. So that's why it was so neat to see, kids go up, move up levels and have success because, or maybe having that manager say, hey man, such and such really knows how to play, man. What a great kid. It's like, I know he's a great kid. And, and I made sure that he, you know, I carried the torch for him to continue to do things correctly. So that hopefully you don't have to say anything to him. You know, and I wow. guess I learned that in the Cape Cod leagues when I'd be managing and you'd have guys who were doing base running and you might have a guy from a certain program that had no clue on anything. And you're like, what are they teaching you over there? So I guess I took a per- my personal deal that when my kid moves up and to another coach, he better know what's going on. Yeah. So, and I, and I probably overdid it like everything I do, but it was a belief that I had. And, but the pro game, you just, you learn to have patience. You learn to, you know, I actually learned that I could actually do it 140 games a year and bring the same energy level. And it was different from some guys. And I wanted to be a different manager in pro ball than other guys. Like yeah. I wanted to care about them and, and know about their families and brothers yeah. and sisters and have a personal relationship that maybe other guys didn't do it with. And so, and there's some guys that do it at a great level like that too, but, you know what I mean? I guess I just try to, I've always tried to be uncommon. I'm not trying to be your normal guy. Yeah. Normal's not good enough for me. I got to be better at everything. And that's why, that's why I say like, I'm a, I need to do things even better today. And I'm not a, I'm not a finished book and <laughs> I hope I'm finished before I'm done coaching. That's all I can say. But it's, <laughs> but it, the pro game, like I always say, like you, the pro game can learn so much from college and the college game can learn so much from the pro game. And if you blended both of them, you'd have amazing baseball. And that's actually what I just tried to do. The style of play and the commitment from the players. And, you know, you just try to, I try to blend. And that's when I met with coach Slosh and said, Hey, I've got a vision for what I think an offense should look like. I I know how to teach it. I've seen it. So here's what I want to do. And because of his selfless and let me to take control of it and let me have a, you know, here, go do it. But you're going to be accountable because if we don't play well, you're going to have to hear from me. I'm all right. 
got it. I know. I got it. <laughs> so the freedom that he gave me to do my job, then my freedom to the players to do their job. It goes hand in hand, and it takes special people to give opportunities for people to take charge of things. And you better do a good job, or you're not going to have a job for long. And I'm all right with that. <laughs> Here's here's the proof is in the pudding. When you've had those players that have moved out from under your watch in the college game and have gone into professional baseball, what's been the feedback that they come back to you with? You know, it's pretty neat. It's pretty crazy. We actually, especially the culture here that, that yeah. Coach Lashnigo created and Coach Sardos and Zach Etheridge had done such a great job of us yep. being ourselves and helping the culture. And they get, you know, they, they go out and a lot, a lot of the times it's like, man, you know, it's so different. Everybody's place for themselves and, you know, they're so spoiled here because you got somebody on them and they probably don't like it all the time, but when they leave it, they appreciate like, man, I didn't know that, you know, so many guys get away with so much. And so it's just a neat thing to have. They're, they know how much they appreciate you. Yep. You talk to them throughout their seasons. You can't wait to see them in the off season. We've got so many of our ex players that, that work out here. We've got like 22 PCU players or that actually live here in Fort Worth or that work out here. Mm-hmm. That'll show you how much they like the culture. And, mm-hmm. and I know Vanderbilt and some places are doing that too. It's just the appreciation of getting to work with them in the off season. They still want to work out with you in the off season from a hitting standpoint or defense. And, and, and what I'm trying to do again, like I'm learning from them. Hey, what are you guys having you do? And, Oh, I never thought of it like that. That's awesome. And <laughs> you know what I mean? So like I'm trying to get feedback from them. And, yeah. and part of the deal here is like, I'm trying to teach guys to be a professional hitter. So, like, I need them to know who they are, but, like, a lot of times guys have left here that I'm like, shucks, man, I couldn't get to him in a certain way. I just didn't have any adjustments for him. I sure hope when he goes to the pro game that somebody will make him even better. Wow. You know what I mean? It's so like, I'm hoping because I don't have all the answers. Yeah. And then when they do figure it out from the next hitting coach or wherever they go, like, tell me what yeah, I Yeah, give it to me. So that I can get better. Yeah. You, so, you, you flip the script so easy. That's what you do. And yeah. Now, unfortunately, you find out, like, you know, some of the same problems they had with you, they're having there. And yeah. Shucks, like, man, I exhausted everything. I went to other hitting coaches, some of my pro guys and big league guys, and sent them videos on you. And, mm. you know, Evan Scout, I sent stuff, and they don't have any answers for me. Shucks. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. I've already done that. I've exhausted all avenues with them, and I don't know if they know that. Um, but And sometimes I would tell them, but, like, I, I just, you know, it's an embarrassment to me, and I just feel like I've shortchanged them. If, if they didn't leave me as the best amateur player they possibly could be, and sometimes it's just not time for them to be the best version yeah. of them. And, yeah. and they still need 2,000 at-bats. That's it. But I got to play a part in it. And I hope I gave him, I know I gave him the best I got, but I hope I gave him the best information I could. And that's something that I got to live with if I didn't. That's it. Here come the takeaways. I want to say on offense, because obviously you're going to speak at our Dallas convention on hitting and on offense. And, and I think if we can live in there for a little bit, because you brought up a couple really cool points. The training environment. I want you to open that up. I want you to open up those those six characteristics that you you really see in successful hitters. And but then also help us see, touch, and feel the culture inside your offensive group. Open all that up for us, Mo. Yeah, I guess not to steal a little bit of the thunder, like you said. Yeah, don't don't burst um, your bubble, but you know. Is, but I mean, I only know one way. So <laughs> you know, it's just you know, number one is we talk about is the key I need them to know from day one is we play offense offensively. Everything we do as an offense is to play offensively, which means aggressively. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I want them to know. So a big thing that I like to have in this program is like when I, they need to believe in this as much as I do. So like what's important to me has, has to be as important to them as it is mm-hmm. to me. So like they, when we go over things, they better know how important it is. So when I ask them, if I were to have my call, talk to my guys today in our Friday practice and say, Hey, uh, what's, what's what's how do we play offense it better be offensively it better not be aggressively 
No, it better be offensively. Mm. Aggressive is a part of being offensive. Okay. But that's what I need to know on that. Um, I talked to them about the most important thing we do as an offense is whatever we're doing at the time. So like if I said to, said to anybody, hey, what's our staple here at TC? What's the most important thing we do? Every guy to a T, all 15, 16 guys better say, whatever we're doing at the time is the most important thing that we do as an offense. So if we're doing ball in the dirt reads, if we're going first to third, if you're in the box hitting, if we're working on hitting the breaking ball. So whatever we're doing, the here and now, so like, I want you to know like every part's important. We would love to all be great hitters. We would love to all be great base runners. But you better know that every part of everything that we do is important. So like, I let them know is like, so every day base running is a huge part because like, I know I can't turn you into a great hitter, but I can turn you into a better base runner. I can turn you into have a mindset of aggressiveness with intelligence. Um, we, we're not going to be reckless. We're going to be aggressive. There's a difference. Yeah. We're going to be intelligent with things we do. Yeah. You know, I want I want us to have our cake and eat it too. Like we're not only going to try to get an extra base every time we're going to make it. Um, there's some give and take with that, obviously, but we're, you know, we can never get thrown out and do everything perfect and never gain a base and play scared. And that's not what we're looking for. So every day we, we, we do base running immediately after stretch and so, obviously, I'm telling the players, this, this is super important. That's why we're doing it. And if it wasn't a super important part of our game, we wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. So, we're not just doing this to say we did it. Um, if we don't steal third or we don't steal second or we don't delay steal or we don't do ball in the dirts, why do we work on it? So, we're doing it because these are staples of who we are. And we're going to become really good at it. So, that's the important part of what we're doing. Um, mm. it's, uh, it's super important that everything that they do, um, they understand the importance and we're, we're only doing it because it's, it's a huge important, important part of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. Um, so that, that's, you know, that's where it starts and the importance and, and daily doing it and not remember we did this once. No, we've done it 20 times. And, and when I get on and it's like, what, what, what do you think gives us the right to, to get on you and be upset when you do it wrong? Well, because we've done it 30 times, like, yeah, that's why. If I only did it once six months ago, how can I make you accountable? That's right. You know, so that's that's parts of, like like I said, it's sort of, we have the freedom to get on you because we've gone over it so much. We've done it through video. We've done it through repetition. We've tried to teach through our mistakes, teach through our successes. And that's where our video system and things are. Yeah. I can't believe I coached my whole career without them to yeah. show certain things. So that's a... You know, that's, that's a big part of who we are as an offense. I've, you know, seen, and, uh, I've seen your classroom set up. There's so much involved. You know? I've seen, I've yeah, seen your classroom set up. Are you, are you spending some time in there? Every day. Yeah, yeah that's part of, that's part of, that's, you know, our, our, we have our little cut-ups and the bat system that we use along with Synergy. And we, I could put, hey, give me all of our first to thirds or all of our ball in the dirt reads or all of our contact plays. I can get those up and be able to teach from it. So everything we ever talk about the very first day, we've already watched it. Here's how we do it correctly. Here's a couple of times we screwed it up. Here's what happened on this. So we, we, we have so many different ways that we teach, you know, for those, the, you know, the visual learners or the ones that need to see certain things. And then we, you know, they have to write things down to those guys that do things on paper. Yep. And then we go out and show it to them. So like, there's no excuse for, Hey, I only like it written down. Okay. Well, you did write it down. Yeah. I only liked visually. Okay. We did, we did that. <laughs> well, I only do it through repetition. We do yeah, that daily. Too. So we try to take away excuses. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like you, you better know what the heck's going on because we've done it daily and 
we're going to make you accountable and you have great teammates and anybody that's been through the system for over a year can teach you, you know, but it's going to be hard at the beginning because everything we do, you're, you're accountable to. So it's mm-hmm. a lot going on and there's a lot of moving pieces, although like we, it's very simple, but now it's everything. We care about everything you do. So that's never simple. That's it. Oh. You've mentioned this a couple of times and we're going to, we're going to go into our, some of our staple questions, but you've mentioned, uh, again, your growth, your maturation uh, as a baseball coach, as a leader. Um, there, there's a piece of that. I, I keep thinking of this quote I heard from coach Corbin of, um, you have to have an ego to know that you have to put your ego aside at times. And it's that, it's that personal awareness. It's that really emotional intelligence. And you you can tell you've learned that through heartache sometimes as we all have, but you've learned that the minute that I can put my ego or my, my ambitions over here, then I can really focus on my players. And that's what really matters, their success, their development and where it goes. I'm guessing faith plays a little bit of a role in this mode, but how do you hold yourself accountable to that? And this is maybe a personal inquiry for me. I'm just, how do you keep your ego at bay? How do you die to that every time you're around your guys, anytime you have a chance to influence someone and put them as that almost a servant leader would put them ahead of your own ambitions. How do you do that? Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's a great one. There's such a fine line because I think your number one answer, and it's really simple, is if you put the players first. Yeah. Put the players first. It's not how much you know. It's not how much you think you know. It's not how great a coach you think you are. It's how much do they know. Mm-hmm. So when you put your players first and, and just engulf your being in them, that's where it starts. Now, part of a deal, and especially me, like, ego is a part of who you are because part of my deal is, like, I'm trying to convince them that this is the right way. This is the best way. Now, on a lot of things, when I'm going over things, I may say, hey, there's a lot of ways to teach this. Here's how we do it. I believe it's the best. So I've got to be convicted of them to know, like, this is how we're going to do it, and this is the best way. But I do actually want them to know, like, hey, when you go into a pro ball or you play for another coach, like, there's other ways to do this. Yeah. Here's how we do it. Yeah. But this is what we're going to do. And I actually try to have a couple of different teaching points in anything that they're doing, be it turning a double play or, you know, how they get their lead and things. But mm-hmm. but I want them to be convicted. So, like, sort of the ego is like, you know, like, this is the best way. We're going to do it. So I'm trying to convict them. So that's the mm-hmm. fine line. But, but you've got to just be able to show them when you screw up that they know like, Hey, that was a horrible call. I had you run in there. What a bad decision on me. So by showing them your humility and that you're human, that you screw up, gives them the ability to screw up. And it might be, but Hey, but when I screwed up, it was going to be aggressively. Like, you know what I mean? Like here was the reasons, but it was the bad decision. So that sort of goes into it. But the ego is about like, it's all about the team first, which starts with the players and, and the players having to be selfless and buying into the system. And, and the, if if there if I've had any success, it's 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 been because of players believing in what I've taught them, believing in playing for each other, believing in who they are, mm. believing that man, my goal isn't to get you to be the best you can be. My goal is to be you to become even better than you can become. You know what I mean? Like the only problems I'll have with a player, I have the only problem I have with a player is if I think you're a better player than you think you are. Wow, yeah. Like man, I, I see so much in you, but you're content with making the team. You're content with being a starter. Like, come on, man, you got more in you. And, you know, that's not for everybody. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, when we might butt a little heads, like he's happy to play every day when I'm like, you're an all-conference player, man. You're better than this. So how can I forge that relationship to get them to know, man, I'm only, you know, like I'm going to be coaching next year. You may not be playing, you know, so yeah. like, come on, man, let's, let's, uh, let's come on. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's get to this thing. So that's the art of coaching, you know, the oh. art of, 
the players today are so smart, you cannot fool any of them. So they know why you're in this thing. You could two days like, oh, this guy's great, man. He really cares about me. Well, when he's with you for two weeks, he knows why you're a coach. So mm-hmm. coaches out there, man, you can't fool your players. Thank goodness you guys are smarter than me. So you are smarter than your players, where I'm not smarter than my players. But I love them more. Yeah. You know, like I said, I can't go back. That word, the love part is not a, it's not a, a word on a wall. Yeah. It's not something that you write on the paper. It's something that you show them on a daily basis through thick and thin, you know, rain or sunshine. Like, this is who I am. This is what I think of you. Let's get it going. Here, you know. let me, I'm going to make this observation. Here's why your players are so loyal to you. Cause I know that's not, again, lip service. That's how you live. But, but you, there's a, there's a spirit mode. Some of them off here, you're exalting your players. You almost, I mean, you, you treat your, like they're your heroes. Yeah. That's, you know, you're going to make me cry. Like no, that, that's where we're going, dog. So, that's, that's, that's where we're at. You know, they are, you know, what can I say? They, that's why you coach. Yep. You know, they, like I tell them, you know, I'll get guys that say, um, you know, you really motivate me every day. And it's like, buddy, you motivate, motivate me. me. No doubt. It's, it's not, you don't get it. Mm. I get to see you every day. I get to put on the uni and coach you. It's not about me. I've screwed up enough, but it's, that's why you coach, man. And you get, you have enough successes and kids that come back to you. And, you know, if you don't take it this personally, I think you're selling short. Yeah. And I actually don't think you should be a coach. That's it. But that's my opinion. Here's what I love. You, you were talking through some of that. Stu Fritz, again, our second VP, again, the guy that asked you to speak at our convention, came on our podcast around episode 50, and he, and he talked about how your players have to see you at your best but don't don't walk away from the opportunities for them to see you at your worst. And that's what, again, really breaks down all the different language and, and, and titles, and it gets it down on a human level. Hey, we're all imperfect. We're all trying to figure this thing out. But, man, I'm going to give you everything I got. And, I, and you, you completely exemplify that. Again, a guy that studies the game and a guy that sees the game, Bill, and, you, and I know like you can hear it, you're constantly – tweaking and turning and thinking and asking and uh like you mentioned earlier listening more than talking and you're trying to find a new way to see something or is there something you would point to maybe on the recruiting trails or uh, throughout the season that, that something that really changed your thoughts on something inside the game can you point to something specific for us no it's just i think you you learn from experiences you just okay you find out that all the great teams you had and all the and, and the great players were like, they were all the same guys, man. They were selfless. Yeah. They got better every day. They believed in you. They believed in themselves. And you just, the characteristics. And that's why I, I, I talked about characteristics. And they're not even written down. They're just, I know what it looks like. I, you know, how do you know what the best player in the world looks like? Well, because I was around Mike Trout for three years. How do you know a guy like Todd Helton, who for 17 years in the big leagues had 250 more walks and strikeouts and a 317 lifetime hitter? How do you know because I saw them firsthand? Like, I, I just know what they look like. I know how they worked. I know how they treated their teammates. I know how they treated me. Um, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. like, it's just something you end up learning. And you, and you form the relationships. And sometimes you, you see, like, this guy, I like his tools, but he's not the right kind of guy. And, you know, Miracle's my favorite movie of all time, even yeah. though I love so many movies and you know we're not looking for the best players we're looking for the right players you know and and that's what it is like and what's a right player you know he's got to have a good skill set but he's got to be coachable he's got to have great aptitude you got to put them in position in situations where they they can't fail 
because you're asking them to only do things they're capable of. And, and that's the art of coaching. And that's the, you know, the funny thing you said, you know, you know, having players see at your best and see yeah. at your worst. And I, that's one thing I've succeeded at. <laughs> All my players have seen me at my worst. Sure. So, and that's what keeps them amused and embarrasses me. And, but it is what it is. Like I said, man, I'm an open book. I can't, yep. I, I'm evolving, but come on, 33 years into it. My embarrassment is, is when I do something wrong to a player and I understand the player doesn't know better, but I do. Yeah. And that's why when I apologize and they're like, oh, you're okay. That's it's okay. I deserve it. No, you don't. And it's like, how do I know? Cause that's not what kids deserve. And you know what I mean? And, and like I said, yeah. it's not morally, it's not, you know, but it's, I don't care. It's, it's, it's challenging him in a way that he doesn't deserve to be. And there's a fine line between that. And, but I also know if you want to get the most out of them now, every coach has their own style. And, and that's one thing as a coach, you got to be true to yourself, man. Yeah. And I, I look, my dream would be the quiet guy that looks at him with a look and the kid knows I disappointed him. I'll do better. Mm. Sorry. It's not me, but boy, do I appreciate that. And when I'm around a coach that does that, boy, that speaks volumes. Gosh. That's what my father was. He didn't yeah. say much. Dad didn't say much. How I learned to coach Bennett didn't say much, but boy, I knew, I knew, <laughs> you know, but that's, but you, you gotta be yourself. And yeah, it, it is what it is, man. But coaches, you gotta be yourself. You gotta try to find yourself. You need to make adjustments in everything you do. Yeah. You need to have some mentors and some role models that you really paid attention to. And you, you, you aspired to be them throughout the country in different sports. And, you know, I'm a big college football guy. So I have my favorite football coaches and I've always, you know, my favorite basketball coaches, man, I've read so many books and, you know, um, sometimes maybe I picked the wrong ones. I get a little too excited and <laughs> sorry, Bobby Knight. I, I didn't mean to mention you, but yeah. Bobby Knight was a big part of my life. And yeah. I read so much and learned so much from him and, you know, and that's maybe the loudness and the, yeah. luckily I never cursed. So I, I didn't get that, but boy, he played a big part in just reading so much and, finding out how great a kids that play for him at Indiana. And I always wanted my kids to be amazing, like the Steve Alfords and the Trey Hillman's and sure. Calvert Chaney's and guys that he coached and the kids were amazing. So, you know, that's what I wanted my kids to be. And, and they have become just like that. So, it's a, it's, that's a, it's always a, you know work in progress. That, that leads right into this. And if you could, if you could boil it down, how do you define the word success? You know, I, I think a lot of it has to do with where you're at. Like, when you're at premium places, to me, winning becomes so important because we have amazing facilities. We get to recruit great kids. So winning is a huge part of it because we have the best. Yeah. If I was coaching at a so-called and I didn't have all the great things that we have here, it wouldn't be the same. Yeah. Success still is all about the kids becoming the best version of themselves as a person, as a player, as a teammate, as a brother, you know, as a father, as a boyfriend, like, are they amazing kids? So that's the, the that's what success is. Mm. But winning is a part because when you have the things that we have here and you do a good job coaching, they're going to win because like, they don't have a choice. you got great players. So you're failing them sometimes. If you don't win with the great kids that you have in your program, man, you're, you're not a success, but wins and losses obviously isn't the end all developing kids, developing yourself, you know, and, and the balance of your family. And once I became balanced as a person and not take the game home with me, I don't stop thinking about it, but I'm not going to guy that, oh boy, good luck to Janelle. You you're husband lost. I can't, I wouldn't want to be here. That's not going to be the case. Yeah. And part of it is, is God putting the kids and, and a great wife in my life to give me balance, to say, Hey man, well, how do you want your kids to act? How yeah. would you want to act? 
you know, treat the players like you would your kids. And of course I want my kids to be special. So like, I'm going to hold them to high standards. So that's what I'm doing with my guys. So, you know, like I said, that's the blessings and, and a face, a huge part. And I don't want to turn this into a Jimmy Billy Graham, you know, festival, (laughs) but like, man, faith has played such an important role in my mind and God's humbled me in and out and put me in amazing places. And, you know, maybe I don't have that head job that I always dreamt about, but I don't wait, waste one second thinking about it, man. God, God put me where he wanted to, That's right. to make changes and differences in people and, and be a servant for a head coach who does an amazing job. And so hey, I'm content, but never satisfied. That's so, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm working. Take, take us into uh, daily habits or routines. I think that's always a neat question. When you think about successful coaches, there's certainly things that you may take for granted, but there are things that you do throughout a day or throughout the calendar year that you think lead towards you staying organized, keeping balance and being your best. What would you offer? Yeah. You know, so, you know, workouts are a huge part of my game, part of my life, yeah. you know, and, and, and then the crazy part is, is I was warned like so many things. I had so many mentors or so many people throughout life that, that always told me like, Hey, you can't run 13 miles a day. You can't run eight to 10 miles a day. And on the streets, like I did when I was younger. And I'm like, Hey, yeah, I'm different. Like I'm going to be okay. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but of course you got over 40 and I'm 54 now. And you're, you've had the five knee surgeries and the different surgeries you have in the back and the, you know, everything in the, the, the feet and everything. And it's like, gosh, man, they told me not to do that. So my workouts are such a huge part of my game, but I've gained so much weight throughout my career. You know, it's like, you know, now is when my diet should be the best. It's the worst. And it's like, why? Cause I finally work hard enough to make enough money that we can do whatever we want. That's right. And my discipline on that's like, man, my wife, we can go eat dinner every night. And when I was a coach, it didn't make any money. And I ate cereal every night. So of course you couldn't gain weight. So that's part of my, and that's actually my dream. So that yeah. I have an excuse to, to not be what I once was, you know, no doubt. so workouts are a huge part because to throw a couple rounds of BP every day and to have energy on a field every day and have a passion. I think you, you've got to be mentally sharp and start your day off with a great workout. Um, although what I consider a great workout isn't what it used to be. Yeah. So that's changed. You know, then obviously you get into the office and we have such a great system here with Coach Austin does a great job of like, we know we have our 10 o'clock meetings every day. Um, you know, you don't have to be in the office all the time, but you know what you have to have done. So mm-hmm. you better be prepared for what you're doing that day. And recruiting is your lifeblood as a program. We talk about ABR as our lifeblood and ABR stands for always be recruiting. So that's a part of you every day and your mm-hmm. calls you're making at night. It's in the morning. So it's always a thought of your mind. I'm with a great recruiting coordinator, Kirk Saros, that is the greatest of all time and everything he does like coach slash Nagel. So it's just, we have just a great camaraderie and we get to learn from each other. And, um, but yeah, the days are just pretty simple. You know what you've got to do. You have your staff meetings. What do I have to do? Clerical? Um, you know, you know, so it's, I have, I have a, a dream job now. That's why I call other coaches, real coaches. They have to do 20 different things. Worry about how the field's doing. Worry about how this is coming along. Worry about that. Oh, we got to raise money. I don't have that. I'm a baseball coach who gets to do what he does. And I, I have zero excuses to not have success. Mm. So, you know, my, my daily routines are very easy. Get done with the field, make my phone calls, um, get to be with my family every night with my kids. Now one out of the house or actually two out of the house. So now me and mom really get to know each other. And my 11 year old's really spoiled. So hopefully his jump shot's getting a little better. Cause I can work with his basketball <laughs> game every day now. So, awesome. you know, and, um, and uh, I need to do a better job with this homework, but that's where mom's amazing. And, yeah. and that's where this cop out about not being very smart. Like, honey, this sixth grade math, I don't even know how to do it. <laughs> so, 
you, you, you've got to help them. And it's, it's yeah. actually true, but yeah. it's embarrassing. So, you know, that's just the balance of daily deal. But I'm just so blessed that's to be cool. in this position of a great job. And I get to just worry about baseball things or preparing for, uh, you know, going to speak at a certain place. So, you know, getting my PowerPoints done, which yeah. obviously I can't do that. I have a video guy that gets to help me with. And <laughs> so I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm living a fantasy life. So I, I try to let it know that, man, I've, I've worked my butt off to, sort of earn this fantasy life, but, yeah. but as we know, nothing's given to you on the field and with yes. the players. So I got to go earn that. And so I don't even like to tell you how neat my daily days are because <laughs> they're so much easier than other guys. So, um, so like, I, but it, it's just a daily, we talk about routines with our players daily. I have my own routines that I do daily. Yep. Every day may change where I have maybe a, an interview with you, or I've got to speak to this guy, or I've got mm-hmm. to meet with three players that are going to come to my office throughout my day. And, you know, so it, it changes a little bit different, but I have, I'm pretty uh, disciplined on the things I have to do. Um, I just need to do a lot better job with my diet. So yeah. well, I gotta, hey, uh, I'm losing that battle. Cheers to all of us that we all need to do better with our diet. Um, <laughs> I, now, again, we talked about humility earlier, so this might be an easier question for you. I want you to boil down so, to one moment that really sticks out to you that if, if we had to define it as maybe your most humbling moment in baseball, in coaching, what would you offer? You know, I don't have, I don't have one. I have okay. a thousand. Well, no, and I, I can mean, see because you live in, you do, man. You live in a world of humility. Man. You live in a world of, man, I just, I didn't have it figured out then. I got to be better. Yeah. You see, I screwed up enough to like, this was terrible. And then I did it, do something again. So yeah, I don't have one. I, gotcha. I have a lot more. I've learned a lot from my, my mistakes and I actually have from my triumphs. So yeah. I don't remember the triumphs very well. I remember the, the mistakes and the adjustments and I can't believe I said that to him or, you know, maybe gosh, you know, man, I should have stayed at that job. Although I thought the other one was better and it was best for my family. But you know, now you get a reputation that man, this guy must, you know, why does he, he have a different job every year? He must not get along with people. And it's like, you know, in this profession, so many guys have stories and they, they never even met you yeah. and they really have, they think they know you. Yeah. And I really just care about my friends in this, my friends in life, my family that really know me, they take me for who I am. Mm-hmm. They know I've made a lot of mistakes, but they know that the people that I'm closest to that I've been around enough, they know who I am. They know the love and passion I've had for everybody. They know who I really am. So if my friends were to say something about me, oof, you better look in the mirror. Yeah. But, you know, you, you, just hate, you hate preconceived you know, he preconceived notions, right? That guy's a bad guy. Like I, you know, 30 years ago, I heard he did this and yeah. you know, you're probably right. I did, but like, <laughs> you, you don't know me. You need to get to know me. Um, you know, I'm here to help anyone I can because I've had nothing that people help me throughout my career. So, you know what I mean? A hundred percent. No, you it's, know, like it, I said, it's one of those moments, but, Bill, I think if, if it's don't judge me on who I was at 16, don't judge me on who I was at 21. Don't judge me on who I was yesterday. Cause man, I'm trying to get better today and I'm trying to become who I want to be my own best version of myself today. So if you're looking at, at, at yesteryears thinking that's who I am, dude, you've missed the boat because I think yeah, and that's, I put yeah. you in this category, dude, I put you in this category of a guy that's really great at rescuing wisdom from the past. So I'm going to take that opportunity and not treat it as a failure, but I'm gonna treat it as a learning opportunity. Take that lesson. I'm going to take that with me into today and hopefully I'm better prepared for the next opportunity. Do you, you subscribe to that? Oh yeah, that's one hundred percent. I'm just not smart enough to say it. I've got a, <laughs> Neither I, am I. I heard it from somebody else. No, now it's did. mine. Oh, I like it. Well, you remembered it. That's smart. <laughs> so you know, I have on my wall here. It says the past does not equal the future. So oh yeah, and it also goes to hey, you had a great team last year. You had great kids. That doesn't mean it's you have the same group this year. Yeah. So that can relate to so many things. And 
yeah, that's that's the deal. Just <laughs> you know, don't take yourself too seriously. Work on your craft. Yep. Uh, be convicted. Once you think you you've got a pretty good formula, yep. be convicted and coach the heck out of it. That's it. You got hidden talents or hobbies? You got anything you'd offer? Is there anything <laughs> I don't know so far? <laughs> I've got no talent. So none of them are hidden. Apparently, you got a good jump shot. Well, I actually don't anymore. I don't know if I did before, but the okay. thing was, I thought I did. All right. And when you run as bad, and if you and when you ran as bad as me and jumped as bad as me, <laughs> and you, you want, if you ever wanted to, play, you better make your make a few shots. But I also knew how to shoot more, and I also didn't play defense, so I could actually save my energy <laughs> yeah. to play offense. So You're the bar- you know, yeah, like at the other end of the court, I'm the coach's nightmare. Like I'm not what. Like everything I won't allow my kids to do is what I was. So at least I can tell them, you know, <laughs> sure. hey, don't do what I did. You know, so I, I'm able to say that. But oh, yeah, so I don't awesome. have any. My hidden talents is I love college football. I love Major League Baseball. I love college baseball. I love the NFL. Yep. I love the Patriots. Big Tom Brady, Bill Belichick fan. Okay. Um, so yeah, I don't have any hidden. I don't have any hidden <laughs> talents. I'm working on trying to have one talent. You know, and That's hopefully it. I'm becoming a better husband. If I can be talented at one thing, being the best husband I can be. Um, uh, that's my goal. That's Amen. the talent I'm trying to find. Yep. Yep. So. You and me both working on that every day. Um, you got funnier stories. You got some stories that you'd offer to me. <laughs> not, not, not any of your brother. Yeah. <laughs> Keep them, what what the PG deal. stories could you offer? Yeah. I've got, yeah. I don't like, should I, I try, I try to learn from the past, but erase all of them, but I don't know <laughs> if I really have any funny stories. I'm not one of those People might laugh at me sometimes, but it's not really because of the story I told. I just told the truth about something, yeah. and they thought it was funny. But, yeah, I'm not that guy that sits around giving funny stories. I just give lots of stories because I like to talk, obviously, and I've done so many things. But, yeah, I don't really have things that come up. You know, I, I remember, like, probably the most embarrassing thing I ever did as a player um, was you know, we, were, we were playing against Cal, and they must have stole 10 bases off me in one inning. I couldn't throw anybody out. and The inning was so long that I actually thought it was – I thought it was the third out. So, you know, after the inning, so I thought it was the third out, and I sprint to the dugout. Yeah. And while I'm sprinting to the dugout, I realize it's not the third out. But I always <laughs> was routine-oriented, and I put my catching bag in the same spot all the time. And yeah. so as I ran there, I ran to the corner of the dugout, put my glove in the bag, got another glove, acted like my other glove ripped, and just sprinted out back to home plate. So everybody thought that, hey, the idiot that thought they were That's out, good. oh, good. catching his catching glove rip. Yeah. So I, I am, I guess I am pretty quick on my feet. Give yourself some um, credit. Don't, don't live well, in, in well, self-deprecation. Some, well, I'm all right. Cause I, I, I believe in a lot of things. That's where the conviction thing. So like yes. nobody, I don't lack for confidence. It's just, <laughs> you know, I mean like there's a lot of things that I know I'm not good at. So I'm yep. only going to stay in my own box. So yeah, mm. that's what, yeah, that's the deal. Like I don't, there's no, I'm not like this. Oh, he can't do no, no. The things I think I can do, I think I can, can do. do them and really I'm going to believe get you to think I can. Well, yeah. I didn't say I do them really good. I just think I can do them. Okay. So, but I'm just not going to kid myself that I was somebody I'm not. So that's actually my strength is I know who I am. You know, that I'm very self-aware. I know my mm. strengths. I know what I can't do. I try to work on my weaknesses, but I got a lot of them. So let's work on the ones that can be pertinent for what your job does. But yeah, so I can think of my feet pretty quick. And so that, but yeah, I don't, I've had a lot of embarrassing things as a, as a coach, but I don't really want to get in. I'm trying to get this interview to help me. Not I, I know so, um, <laughs> this is going to be the toughest question I, I may ask you in terms of you being able to nail down, boil your list down of, of, of people, of players, of coaches, who do you put up on your Mount Rushmore? And there's only room up there for three or four people. So who, who do you really boil down to your Mount Rushmore? 
see, and that's what you know. I don't even. I, I don't. I don't like to get in the habit of even mentioning players, yep. because you know, what I mean, like you're, you know, every and every time I do, somebody's going to call me and say, "Hey, how come you didn't mention yeah, me?" Yeah, forgot about like, me. Oh shucks, <laughs> I thought of you, but I didn't. You know, I didn't. So, gosh, I just everybody that I've ever come in contact with has played such an amazing part. But I have to, you know, Coach Horton gave me my first start as a coach. And he, I, everything I'm about is what I learned from him. And then I evolved and went certain ways. But, but my, my core values as a coach and what I believe in it are all because of him. Wally Kincaid was with him. You know, growing up with Dave Serrano, him being a great part of me um, and coaching, being, coaching through the years. So he grew up from my Little League days. So those are the ones that have the stories. And mm. Andy Stankowitz, um, you know, Andy Stankowitz, who um, – was my best friend growing up, the best man in my wedding, and I've coached with him places. And wow. you know, he's been such a mentor spiritually for me, and the, the kind of guy he is. And the, you know, and, and my my dad and my mom, who's now deceased, that she was amazing. You yeah. know, think of her daily. And then getting to be around so many coaches, and you know, Coach Slosh, you know, giving me this opportunity here, and working with Zach Etheridge, the most selfless guy I've ever been around, who got zero credit in this program. Um, but was amazing. And Kirk yep. Sarlos, who's, who, the way he lives his life with his family and the coach he is and the, you know, the way he handles people that I, I'm, you know, my dreams would wake up and be as handsome as him and handle people the way he does. So how can I say anything's more about a person? But I, you know, I, I, when I start naming people, I leave out people and, and through, yep. you know, professional baseball, the, you know, Kevin Long, who was a hitting mentor that taught me so much and John Maley, both big league hitting coaches and a guy named Jeff Tickler, who's now been a, a coach in the, in the minor league or in the major leagues the last couple of years, the smartest baseball guy I've ever met analytically on the field, thinks of things I never thought of. And mm. I mean, like he, a daily basis teaches me things I've never thought of and made me widen my horizons. And there's been just so many and Augie, you know, how can I miss Augie? That's yeah. why I don't like to name names. And yep. Larry Cochelle played a huge part. And I've been around so many amazing ones and I'm going to leave guys out when I do that. So that's why I don't even try to leave them. And, and the players, I can't even go there because they've all meant so much to me. And I, you know, I spent so much time learning from them and being a part of their lives. And I am still today. And so some special ones, you know, the Todd Helton's and Sean Casey's because, you know, 20 years later, they still play a huge part of my life and they helped me throughout some parts in my life financially. And they did things for me to like, you know, when I would beat myself up and think, man, I've made so many mistakes that, that man, man, you must have done something right because some the, yeah. the things that some of these players have still done for you are still doing for you that have done for you. Um, come on, you're not a failure like you think. And so you know, like we, when you when you aspire to be perfect, like I do, and you know you're not even close, you beat yourself up in so many ways because you know you're so far from it. Yeah. So that's a hard burden, and and actually I've I'm done better like to learn like. But you haven't done all things. And I also, and then when you have faith like me, it's like God put you through things. God made you do some of those things yeah. to make you grow. Yeah, so true. like, how do you burden yourself? And the Bible talks so much about that. So that's where like, you know, don't burden yourself with things. Go forward. and But acknowledge, you better acknowledge that you didn't do some things right or you'll never grow. Yeah. So you, growth is so huge for all of us. And, but I, you know, I, like I said, like I, my only thing that I'll compete with anybody on, on this earth is I've been blessed more than everybody. And the crazy part is that I haven't reached my ultimate dream to be a head coach, but like I still been blessed yeah. because all the places and the people and every venture and something great came out of it. And, and to have my wife and kids that I have <laughs> as 
You know, no doubt. come on. I, I'm the winner. <laughs> That's awesome. You mentioned Kirk Sarlos. I just want to let you know, I pray for Kirk Sarlos's hair every night and I still wake <laughs> up bald as ever, but one day it'll, it'll, it'll sprout. Um, you, you have been around some really good people, Mo. And I think a, a good follow-up question would be the qualities that jump off. And I'm talking, you know, loyal, hardworking, those type of qualities, whatever it might be the best players, the best teammates, the best people you've been around in yeah. baseball. Give me, give me two or three that, that really hit home with you, man. This is what makes winners. This is the, this is what defines people who are craving greatness. What would it be? Number one, selfless, okay. putting others before themselves. That's actually one of our core covenants here of the program. So mm-hmm. that's made me really look into it. all the great people that I've been around, the best friends that I have. They were, they're so selfless. Yeah. Like, they want to buy you meals all the time. They do everything for you. It's always about you. How are you? How's your family? So like mm. they just, th- that quality and, and I'm, and I'm trying to do it better every day. Yeah. So like their selflessness and their, their care for nothing but you when they're talking to you, making you feel as important, um, you know, work, work ethic, ethic, relentless in what they do. You know, Coach Slash, you know, what he's done with this program, he's so taught me so much his relentlessness and his love of the TCU program, which sometimes can hinder you because you care for something so much that when things don't go well, you get, you act out of character because it's so important that it has success. So, but the selflessness and like what he's done and having a vision. So Coach Slash has taught me having a vision and and what you're seeing. And he's, you know, my deal is about my relationship from one foot across from you. His relationships are from 36,000 feet. Like <laughs> what he sees in your program, what he sees in his coaches, where else coaches can be better. So like we have different versions of what, because of what our jobs are, but yet he's taught me like, I, I do have that same vision. I do look at things from afar. I know what's going on. I do pay attention, but because of what my job entails, I'm going to be from one foot yeah. and this is how yeah. we're going to deal. And actually, if I were a head coach, I would use the 36,000 feet, but I'm not going to take away from that one foot. But I know until you're in somebody else's shoes, you don't realize how many more things you have to worry about. And I have great appreciation for that. You know, I have that, you know, a saying that people say, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> and I know as soon as I were to become a head coach, like I'd have a hundred things that are baseball, you know, non-related from baseball that I'd be like, what did I sign up for? So that, that, that is why I'm content with the great job I have because yeah. they're, they're, theirs never stops, yeah. you know, so they always got a fire to put out. And I, and I get it, but I paid great attention to someone as great as him to see why he is so successful at what he does. Yeah. So the, the, the relentless work ethic and the selflessness, it's just always being there for you. When you've done some of the things that I've gone through in my life, I really learned the guys that were there for me. And that's where the Dave Serrano's and Andy Stankworth, and I'm, I'm missing other people, but, um, you know, they just were always there, man. They knew they were there for me and they tried to help in so many ways. And, and you're selfless. I'm always there anytime. I'm, and, and you've got to have friends that aren't afraid to tell you the truth. Yeah. So you're not, you know what I mean? Like, well, he's my best friend. How do I tell him that? You know, I remember Andy telling me some, Andy Stank was telling me things years ago, that he had heard from some guys in professional baseball about me. And, you know, some of them hurt and yeah. lots of them were true. Yeah. Some of them were, but enough of them were true. And if only one thing, and, and I live by the model, man, if I've done that and said that, how can I like, I'm, I'm not, there's no argument now. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. How can I go forward? So like being a great friend is not being afraid to tell somebody the truth, Love man. That. And it, it may sting a little bit. Now my guys, friends are so amazing that when they tell the truth, they do it in such a great manner. When I tell you the truth, it may be a little, uh, I wish I had sold that a little better there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's, yeah. and that's part, and that's why, 
you know, I, you know, what's that saying that you are, you are the version of your five best friends. Yes. <laughs> yep. You're some so of maybe, the five people you spend the most time with. Exactly. And I wish yeah. I'm hoping I'm 50% of the friends that I have mm-hmm. around me. I hope I'm 50% of them. I wish I could be 50% of my father, you know? Yeah. So that's, well, those are the things like, so that when I, when I have a friend or the people that I admire that I want to be like, that's what I look for. Hmm. And there, you know, there's, I'm sure there's a million other ones of those that come off the top of my head immediately. Awesome. And, and you know, the presence and, and yeah, Kirk Sarnos is here. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, the fact that I'm 54 and still have some hair, I yeah. guess, uh, bless your heart. I guess I'm I, telling I, you. no complaining, Yeah, you know, so, you <laughs> know, so that's where I, I don't want to, you, no one's going to feel sorry for me that I'm getting some gray hair at 54. So <laughs> sure. we'll, we'll stop with that puppy. Embrace salt and pepper. It's better than a bald spot. I promise you that. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's what, <laughs> that's what Zach Etheridge has, has taught me too. Yes. So that's where Zach Etheridge has played a great part of my uh, development awesome. the last six years. So. Gosh. All right, dude, last question I got for you. you you're, you've made me better just by spending some time on air with you, and I know this will continue. But when we think about the best advice you've been given, what's that mantra that, that rings between your ears, guides everything that you do. You come back to it often. But then what other advice? You've offered so much, Mo, but what else other advice would you offer to our guys? Yeah, I guess my two favorite things are, number one, be where your feet are. Mm. Be where your feet are. And a lot of people have said that. I've had people tell me that. Yep. And, um, and, and the thing, obviously, with all the trials and tribulations I've had and the places I've gone and the things I've been at, uh, Sean Casey's sister once said this, and I loved it. It was, you know, the grass is greener wherever you water it. Yeah. So, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we're all, anybody that's in this game is so lucky. Anybody that's out of this game right now and thinks they'll never get in, they're so lucky because they get to learn from their mistakes. And, you know, being out of the game for, it was like only six months of my life. And boy, did I grow during that time. Yeah. Thought I'd never be in. Really, really leaned on my, my faith. Um, but it actually helped me. So like, no matter what part you're, where you're at in your life, like it's the best thing that could happen for you, happen to you. And it'll turn out to be the best thing that ever happened. So like, don't worry about where you're going, worry about where you are, where you are. Um, and you can, you can accomplish things you never dreamt of. And even some of the things you dreamt of that you didn't accomplish, (laughs) trust me, it's not so bad, my friend. Yeah. Gosh, what a dude! I, you made us better. You made everyone that paid attention to this so much better. Uh, Mo, I'll tell you this, man. You said the word blessed a few times. We're blessed to have men like you inside the ABCA. We're grateful that there's there's stewards of the game like you that are out in our community, and you're impacting and influencing players and other coaches and and all the people you come in contact with, man beyond grateful to have you on the podcast get this interview out so we can all get better because of it thanks for what you're doing we wish you and tcu the very best of luck and mo we look forward to seeing you in dallas my friend well sheets i appreciate you buddy and everybody out there like i said man we're all in this thing together thanks so much for the opportunity coaches thanks for checking out our calls from the clubhouse podcast and another one of our dugout chatter episodes here at the american baseball coaches association Our job is to serve coaches around the world. So let us know how we can help you out. Head over to our website, abca.org, if you're looking for more information about our coaching fraternity. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, at ABCA1945. If you want to reach out to me directly, do that through Twitter, at CoachSheets3, or by email, Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. We'd love to hear from our loyal members. 
We'd like to hear from some new members and continue to find ways to work together at growing the game of baseball. Huge thanks to the sponsor of our Dugout Chatter shows, our great partners over at Rawlings. If you're looking for more information about what they're doing for baseball and this coaching fraternity, head over to their website, Rawlings.com. That's R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S.com. And thanks again, guys, for your support. As always, thanks for listening in and staying dialed into our Calls in the Clubhouse podcast. Until next week, we ask you keep growing, you keep developing, you keep challenging yourself inside this game. We wish you and your club the very best, and thank you for what you're doing for the game of baseball. Baseball.